Join us now for Education Matters, a weekly look at the real people and real stories in education across North Carolina. Welcome to Education Matters, presented by the Public School Forum of North Carolina. I'm Keith Poston. A new report out this week says that while North Carolina and neighboring states here in the South have made major advances in education in recent decades, achievement gaps between more affluent students and their historically disadvantaged classmates has widened since 2005. We'll talk with the study's principal author and with someone who understands education in the South better than anyone I know, former State Senator Howard Lee. Now before we tackle our main topics, we open with headlines, a quick scan of education headlines across North Carolina and the U.S. The North Carolina Supreme Court has scheduled oral arguments to begin February 7th in the State Board of Education's lawsuit against the North Carolina General Assembly and the State Superintendent. The case has been moving through the court since December 2016 when Republican lawmakers took away some of the State Board's powers and transferred them to Republican Superintendent Johnson. Now, no timetable has been set on when the court may issue its ruling. With many GAPA lawmakers acknowledging that meeting the new K-3 class size mandate is a real problem for systems across the state, a fix has yet to emerge that can pass both chambers. Last week, lawmakers said they are working hard on a solution and believe they are close. The General Assembly is taking a break until February 7th while they wait for court rulings in three different lawsuits involving voting maps. But they say they're continuing to work in the meantime and are hopeful they will have a class size plan by then. Finally, Superintendent Mark Johnson drew sharp criticism last week from some educators and school leaders over comments he made at a school boards association meeting. Responding to a question about teacher pay, Johnson said that $35,000, the current starting pay for a teacher in North Carolina, is, quote, good money and a lot of money for people in their 20s. Now, critics said $35,000 may have been good money 20 years ago, but isn't today, and the larger issue that it ignores how little teachers earn as their career advances. They also pointed out that the 34-year-old Johnson earns $127,000 a year. Johnson's office defended his comments by pointing out that the $35,000 figure does not include local supplements and does not value the state benefits package, and that also in 17 counties in North Carolina, the median family income is at or below $35,000. Remember, you can visit the Public School Forum's website at ncforum.org and read more about each of these headlines as well as the topics we cover each week. As I said at the top of the show, a new report was issued just this week by the Public School Forum, the group that presents this show, of course, with six other education groups across the South. The principal author of that report, Alan Richard, is joining us here today. We've got a copy of the, uh, the cover of the report on the screen right now. Thank you for being here, Alan. Sure. Alan is a veteran national education writer. When I, I guess we're, we're veterans when we get old. Right. Um, you wrote for Education Week, The Washington Post, The Heckinger Report. Um, you're also a native of South Carolina, so you do know something about the South, um, but very little about good barbecue. That's right. The other Carolina. Yeah, exactly. So, all right. So, tell me about this report. Um, sort of what um, what was it about? Sort of why was it done in the first place? Well, as folks just saw on their screens, uh, it's called "Accelerating the Pace: The Future of Education in the American South," and it calls for all of the Southern states to make a new commitment to improving education. As you said, the Public School Forum of North Carolina and six similar organizations across the South uh, together published this report and saw the need for greater action by our states. So you spent, um, I think, about a year talking with people all across the, the, the South in all of these states. Um, so what did you find as far, you know, as, you know, so what did you find overall? 
We found the South has made a lot of strides in improving education. Anybody with kids in school will tell you that they study things at a much, uh, you know, advanced studies. I've at seen a, it with my yeah, own daughter. Right, at, a, at a much earlier age than we did, uh, since we're veterans. Right. Um, but, uh, you know, it, there's lots more improvement to be made. Uh, one thing we found across the South is a lot of consensus, and I was surprised how many of the same um, things I was hearing across the region from parents, students, policymakers, educators about what our priorities need to be. And one thing that uh, stood out to me too in just doing some research for the report is that achievement gaps are either closing too slowly for some groups of students across the South or they're not closing at all. And in fact, in North Carolina, in fourth and eighth grade reading, I believe, for, low in for students from low income families, the achievement gap between 2005 and 2015 has actually grown. So the achievement levels for students from low-income families have actually grown worse in comparison to more fluent now, students. Now, just, just, just a quick definition. I know I think our viewers all know that when we talk about achievement gap, now, and, and of course at the, at the forum we like to talk about it's an opportunity gap because there are reasons why uh, a lot of kids don't. That's right. But what, what, is, what are we exactly talking about? Are we talking about differences in test scores between groups? That's right. There's something called NAEP or the Nation's Report Card that's a national exam that a group of students in each state takes. And so it's sort of a national barometer of student achievement, and that's where we get this achievement gap data, the difference between averages and scores. All right, so let's, let's move into what the key issues and priorities. We're also going to talk about the, the, the education poll of the South in a minute, but first just tell me what the priorities are. We actually have them on the screen. This is from the report, the, the sort of the main priorities. Well, as you can see on your screen, um, the first was that we need better talent and more support for our teachers and principals. You know, the South has actually slipped when it comes to average teacher salaries, but it's not just about pay. It's also about support and helping professionals grow uh, with, with training and, uh, and mentoring and that sort of thing, keeping good people in the field. Another one is that we, you know, today's students are a lot different than those in the past. A majority come from low-income families across the South and in our country, in fact. Um, and that, that rate is very high. And in, in North Carolina, we are, we are majority minority that's now. Right. In North Carolina, that just, that just crossed over a couple years ago, so that's different. So today's students are very different than a few generations ago, so they need different types of support, sometimes for family issues, emotional health, that sort of thing. Uh, students told us across the South that they're sometimes still met with very low acad academic expectations okay. and, uh, and uh, predictions for how they'll do in the future. The third thing was just that transition from high school into college uh, and career training. Um, not everybody needs to go to college, but unfortunately in the South, we still have a shortage overall of adults with four and two-year degrees, and also with the, the career certifications that can really land you a good job these days. And then the fourth priority is funding, which I know is very much yep. on the table here in North Carolina. Um, money's not everything, but it does matter, and it's pretty obvious when you visit some urban and rural school systems that there just are simple, there are lots of differences in the quality yeah. of education. Well, I want to talk, to, for the last part of our, our conversation, the education poll of the South was, it was part of this report. Um, this to me was both surprising and encouraging. Tell me, we're, we've got a couple of slides that are going to uh, pop up on the screen that talks about uh, uh, what you found. Good. We asked 2,200 registered voters across 12 southern states, including North Carolina, uh, for their views on improving education. And it was surprising to me. Um, three out of four southerners recognize that there are differences in the quality of education that students receive across their states, and actually 77% or more 
a higher rate of North Carolina voters recognize those differences. Um, and then even, even more surprising to me is that about 85% of Southern voters say we need to do something about it. Right. And the, the figure for North Carolina was 88%. Yeah, that's what we've got on the screen yeah, right now. Yeah, 88% so, and, 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 and North Carolina, it is a state role and in, 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 in largely uh, are where they can make a difference, right? And in addition, 84% of Southern voters said they actually supported changing how their state pays for schools to address these issues more effectively and that rate in North Carolina was 86%. So there's a lot of consensus among voters uh, and by political party, racial background, location, age, gender, on all of these issues. And that was heartening to me as someone who has covered education in the South for a long time. Yeah, so yeah, so what is your takeaway? I mean, when you, when you look back, both considering the, uh, the, the achievement gaps and issues from the report, but also the polls, sort of where, where, sort of where do you sort of end up on it? Well, these, we're all in this together. These issues are bigger than all of us, and they're certainly bigger than the political divisions of our day. You know, having good teachers, uh, making early child, quality early childhood available for kids. Now, there are different philosophies about how to go about that, but these priorities, uh, support for students, these rise above, should rise above the political bickering of the day. These are ingrained in our society and will dictate the future economically and socially of our states. Well, so check out, we've we got the, the show the, on the screen, we've got the, um, um, uh, the, the members of the Columbia Group, the organizations that were part of it. You can find the report. We'll have a link to it on ncforum.org. There's also a website that has all the materials, and that is... Acceleratingthepace.org. Yeah, and look for the commercial breaks. Now, Alan, thanks so much. I this, oh, thank this, you. Enjoyed working with you on the report and a good conversation today, so thanks so much. Thanks for having me. When we come back, we're going to be joined by former Senator and State Board Chair Howard Lee. But first, see if you can answer this question. Which groups of Southern voters support changing their state school funding to ensure more fairness between wealthy and poor communities? Welcome back to Education Matters. Did you correctly answer all of those groups? That's what our poll found. Both Republican men and women and independent men and women favor changing their state school funding to ensure more fairness between wealthy and poor communities. Now joining us now to continue our discussion is former North Carolina Senator, State Senator, former Chairman of the State Board of Education, also former Cabinet Member <laughs> under Jim Hunt. I got it all here and of course a lot of folks yeah. got to know Howard Lee as the first African American to hold the position um, as Mayor of Chapel Hill way back in 1969. Um, really the first uh, African American to hold uh, that role in any predominantly white city in the South. In the so. South, yeah. I'm a Southerner. You're a Southerner, out. which is yeah. why I wanted you on the show um, this week, because when we were working on this report with Alan and our partners in these other states, and I kept, and it was about the changing South and the gains and the challenges and the remains, you were the first person that came to my mind because I, this is really um, your life story in many ways. Right. I mean, you, you grew up in, in a very deeply segregated Jim Crow South in Georgia. You, you came up here, thankfully, we're glad you did, ended up in Chapel Hill help change some of the things that were happening. So talk to me a little bit about sort of your own, sort of what you've seen in your life in this sort of changing education story of the South. Well, I'm delighted to have this opportunity to chat with you, Keith. I, uh, of course, went to a segregated school, very poor school, 
Uh, I like to tell the story that I had no new desk, no new textbooks, or any of the materials that were needed in order to have a sound basic education. But I had the most important ingredient of all, and that were good teachers. And so I've spent most of my life uh, through the hunt years and as a member of the General Assembly and as a, a, co co a person who's been involved in early childhood education, really focused on how we can get good teachers into our schools and into our classrooms. Uh, and I think uh, I've seen some really good progress made, but I've also been disappointed in our ability to have closed the gap as much as I'd hoped we would. So you started out talking about teachers, which is always a great place to start. That was one of the themes and priorities that came out in this report was that you know, we have to continue to focus on um, not just getting enough um, warm bodies, but we need to get great teachers. Absolutely. And so that's your, your, your that certainly, I guess, resonated. The other thing was early childhood. You mentioned both of those. So you think that those are still very much key uh, to success? Oh, without a doubt. Uh, I think if we don't continue to put emphasis on preparing kids at the earliest possible age, and especially having them perform at grade level, by the time they reach the third grade, we're, we're already in trouble. Doesn't mean that the uh, ball game is over and that we can't continue to make progress with the kids, but it's gonna be a lot more challenging. But I think teachers make a difference. I set up an institute about five years ago and created what I call small learning groups uh, in middle school and in an elementary school. The idea being to have a teacher who was well prepared and who could give concentrated attention to supporting those kids. It's worked out extremely well and kids who ordinarily would have been uh, engaged in, in experiencing the achievement gap have shown remarkable progress and ability to learn. Well, let me ask, so the, thinking about the um, sort of the, the, the study in the South, sort of what are the, the, the things you look at and say we did really well, I mean, over those decades? Or what were the things that were the, for the, most, um, the most progress we made, the, you know, some of the game changers? And then what, sort of where have we, where did we uh, sort of miss it or at least didn't go far enough? Well, I think we've, we've certainly put uh, the emphasis where it should be, and that is on providing adequate income for teachers and giving them the support in the classroom. Uh, we've done well, I think, in training principals. We've set up a number of uh, programs that would allow principals to be, become more uh, skilled in, in providing leadership within the schools. Uh, I guess the one thing that concerns me most about our school performance is the distance between the school and the community. Kids are being moved from one side of town to the other side of town and in doing that we leave parents behind and so we've taken the parent out of the equation to a great extent if that parent is incapable of being able to make the trip across town. That's you know that's interesting you brought that up because that has been you know that's one of the uh, challenges we've seen schools I mean, you went through, we lived through the, uh, the integration, desegregation. Yeah. Uh, they're, they're obviously two different meanings, but some folks have been concerned that uh, moving toward uh, neighborhood schools and things like that actually has exacerbated some of that. But you know, you're also suggesting that there are things about going to school nearby that um, uh, you think were important. I'm a very strong advocate for neighborhood schools. I, I know people say to me, look, if we go back to neighborhood schools, we'll have segregated schools. Well, we have them anyway. Right. Our schools really are highly minority uh, occupied. Mm -hmm. uh, the difference is that if we lose that neighborhood support and that engagement of the community, and I'm not suggesting this is the case for high schools. 
uh, it certainly is important for middle schools and it's important for elementary schools. Mm -hmm. uh, I work with one elementary school in Durham where we had a have a fantastic principal and he's been able to get the community more engaged with his school and so with volunteers. He's able to get folk in that can help kids. In my own situation, I'm a member of a golf club and many of our members are extremely wealthy and, um, and might be described as very conservative mm -hmm. and people you wouldn't think would be uh, excited about being involved in public schools. But they have stepped up, several of them, and they've uh, created a, a fund to give to this elementary school and to this principal that allows him to buy a book for every third grader in that school. And so we're going to meet next week to go out and see what kind of progress these kid, kids are making. But it's going to take the community really getting more committed and engaged and supporting our schools. I think we've missed another boat I think we've missed is when we first began this journey with Jim Hunt. We engaged corporate corporations and businesses in support of, of these initiatives. And we've lost some of that, mm -hmm. and I want to see that come back again. I was meeting with a corporation here yesterday, Biogen, uh, which uh, has created a community room in, its, uh, in yeah. its building. And they've done a fantastic job of, of serving kids. I'd like to see us move back in that direction. And I think if we do that, we can have tremendous success. Our kids can learn. Uh, I'm absolutely concerned about black males. And that's where I wanted to wrap it up with you on the last question, because I know that's been your, in this, this fifth part of your career, you've really been focused on the uh, black boys and young, young black males that are, that are being left behind. So tell me about that. Yeah, I'm really concerned that uh, we have missed the boat with uh, saving some of these black males students. But what I've learned is that with the right kind of nurturing, the right kind of uh, exposure, uh, these uh, boys become more engaged in academic activities and certainly demonstrate uh, propensity for being able to learn and succeed academically. Uh, I've had good success at two middle schools and uh, one uh, elementary school and one high school, mm -hmm. which has turned out to be extremely well uh, in terms of outcome. Last comment, I would think that the, uh, the survey results that you saw us talk about earlier would be encouraging to you. It does, and it, maybe not even a surprise when you mentioned your friends and the, your, your golfing buddies, yeah, yeah. that it is cut across party lines. People do care about um, achievement for all children. You know, we get so hung up on philosophy sometimes and labels that we get blinded to the extent of the goodness that is in many people if they just simply are asked or if they're invited or if they're accepted for, for being engaged. And so I think that possibility looms large for us going forward. Amen. I like that close. Thank you very much, Senator Howard Lee, for being here. After the break, this week's Leadership Spotlight. Each week, Education Matters spotlights individuals demonstrating exceptional leadership in education in North Carolina based on nominations from you, our viewers. This week, we spotlight Elaine Franklin from the Keenan Fellows Program. Keenan Fellows Program is for practicing teachers. It's a teacher professional development program. We're trying to recruit 
teachers into the program who aspire to have a greater impact. We know that they're having a tremendous impact in their own classrooms and they are already considering how can I help other teachers um, and how can I have a greater voice in my profession. Probably the most unique thing about the program is a three-week internship that the teacher in a STEM industry or in um, STEM research setting. It could be in an agricultural industry or it could be with a university researcher. We want the STEM internships to be in their communities. We want them to understand what kinds of STEM jobs are in their communities because that's how they can make it more relevant to the students. It's often not the technologies um, or the research that's happening behind those doors, but it's, it's understanding um, how people work in those settings and how that might be different than how their classrooms are set up. We have lots of teachers who come back and say, I'm reorganizing my classroom based on what I saw um, in my internship and I'm teaching differently. I'm teaching more in teams now because we hear that collaboration is important, but when I went into Biogen or um, you know the Mertec, um, wherever they were doing their internship, they saw how those teams work together. We know that there is a, a tremendous gap, a tremendous workforce gap in STEM, and um, we believe that we can make a difference in filling that gap, but that has to happen by kids understanding um, how science, technology, engineering, and mathematics, what that means in the workplace, and, um, and how they can get there, and why they would want to get there. It's given them the confidence to be able to, to reach out and do some things that they might have hesitated to do before. The word empowerment comes up a lot, that they feel empowered to make a difference. A lot of them have become interested in advocacy and advocating for policies that are good for their students and good for education. This isn't an end point for them. It's almost like an entry into growth, into being, um, I'd like to call it the extreme education professional. If you know someone that deserves to be recognized, please visit our website, ncforum.org, click on Education Matters, and you'll find a link to nominate someone in your community. After the break, this week's final word. The report we discussed today gives me hope. Yes, it points out where we have fallen short and in some cases gotten worse, like here in North Carolina where we have seen achievement gaps widen for students from low-income families in fourth grade reading and math compared to their more affluent classmates. But the reason I find hope is from the Education Poll of the South findings in the report. Across all political identities, Republican, Democrat, and Independent, men and women, there was broad agreement on the answers to some key questions. Do you see differences in schools across your state and how students are educated? Do you see differences in how those schools are funded, particularly between wealthy and poor districts? And do you believe the state ought to do more to address these inequities in terms of quality and funding? By wide margins in all voting groups, respondents said yes, there are inequities, there are gaps in funding, and yes, the state needs to do more to make sure our public schools give every child in their community an equal opportunity for a good education. Now, I've never stopped believing that the public still supports their public schools. 
I didn't think they bought into any notion that our schools are broken beyond repair or somehow stuck in the industrial age and ignoring the changing world around them. They see that changing world every day, maybe better than we do, with those eager digital age students walking into their classrooms. Let's not squander the opportunity before us to refocus on helping our public schools, not simply stigmatize them with letter grades or drain resources away to the latest fad. Investing in education has always been good politics here in North Carolina. These polls suggest it still is. That's it for this week's show. Next week, we're heading to the 2018 Emerging Issues Forum. This year's theme is Kidonomics, Investing Early in Our Future. We'll be talking to some of the key presenters and attendees on location. Thanks for watching, and we'll see you next week.